0: Hey, it's Brian Winters of The Jump. With the ESPN Daily, you can wake up to the best story you'll hear all day. 20 minutes a day, five days a week, you get an inside look at the most interesting stories at ESPN, as told by the top reporters and insiders on the planet. The breaking news of SportsCenter with the deep dive storytelling of 30 for 30. Today's episode was one I thought our listeners would especially enjoy. So please listen and subscribe to the ESPN Daily wherever you find your favorite podcasts.
1: Special day is Christmas. You know, you get to play the game of basketball you know, on Christmas. Obviously I would love to be home with my family, but if if I had to do anything else, playing basketball is, is, is cool. That was LeBron James talking about what everyone is looking forward to when they wake up tomorrow. Not presents, not stockings, but the annual NBA Christmas Day showcase. Today, we dive under the tree to unwrap this year's slate of five games. And see how the results may reveal the ghosts of past, present, and future for the league's contenders. I'm Mina Kimes. It's Tuesday, December 24th. This is ESPN Daily, presented by Indeed. Kirk, how's it going?
0: It is going well. How are you doing, Mina?
1: Kirk Goldsberry is an NBA analyst at ESPN. So... Christmas is a big day in the NBA world. And while the rest of us, including those of us who cover football, like myself, will be lazing around all day, spending time with family, will you be working?
0: I will be working in the sense that I'll have the television on and 11 hours of basketball on that television. I can't say that I'll be watching every second of every game, but I plan on having all the games on and paying attention, particularly to those marquee matchups, especially, you know, the Celtics-Raptors game and the Bucks-Sixers game and, of course, the Los Angeles showdown.
1: So uh, these games are always good good, or they're mostly good. How does that end up happening every year?
0: Well, the league takes great care when they make their schedule, which is a very, very intense process. One of the big priorities is Christmas Day. These are contenders playing each other, oftentimes rivals. The league takes a lot of care and intent in making sure that these Christmas Day games are big, big events.
1: Well, let's start with the first game, which I don't think has a lot of drama but is certainly a lot more intriguing than maybe you would have guessed before the season given that these two teams are significantly better than i think anyone expected and those are the Celtics and the Raptors.
0: I think both of these teams are proof that if you have good organizational bones that you can sort of absorb big departures in free agency The Raptors lost Kawhi Leonard, the Celtics lost Kyrie Irving and Al Horford. And both of these teams are legit contenders in the Eastern Conference, especially the Celtics, who statistically look like one of the best teams in the NBA. They currently rank third, Mina, in the league in net rating, while being just one of four groups that boast both a top 10 offense and a top 10 defense. So somehow, despite losing both Al Horford and Kyrie Irving in free agency, this is a team that has looked better than they did last year. It's not only that they've absorbed those losses, it's that they've gotten better. Toronto lost, obviously, Kawhi Leonard, the finals MVP. And many people just thought they were going to have a down year and an off year. And instead, they look like a really good team as well. And and Pascal Siakam, the upstart star in in Toronto, has had a terrific year, sort of shouldering a new load and leading this team. Here's Pascal going one-on-one and one! Ties his career high, big-time play! These are two teams that start our Christmas Day slate that are really strong organizations. And they're both sort of absorbed huge losses on their roster and, and look like really good teams again this year.
1: If Boston does have a weakness, I think the common perception is it's the lack of size. Do you think that could hurt them in this matchup?
0: Yes, I think if I am picking apart the Boston Celtics, I am starting with their front court, and they start Daniel Tice, and their backup is Ennis Cantor. And the road out of the Eastern Conference will include matchups probably against Giannis Antetokounmpo and the Bucks, and Joel Embiid and the Philadelphia 76ers. And both of those guys and both of those teams are really, really challenging to defend on the interior. And the big question in Boston is, can they get strong enough and big enough to defend the paint against Giannis and Embiid? They're 0-2 against Philly this year, Mina. And back on December 12th, Embiid torched Boston. I think he had 38 points and 13 rebounds. And last season, remember they got they got blown off the court in the playoffs by Giannis and the Bucks in the second round, and that was with Al Horford. But you know they they have Siakam in this Christmas Day matchup, and, and, and he, he's no easy guy to defend either. So we can, we can start to see whether these guys are up to the task of matching up against the best bigs and the best sort of rim hunters in the Eastern Conference.
1: Well, Kirk, you mentioned the Sixers, and that brings us to the two thirty game, eleven thirty Pacific time, which I actually find maybe even more intriguing than Lakers Clippers on some level. Just because Bucks Sixers not only involves two very good teams, it's a very gigantic game. Is that a good adjective to describe this matchup?
0: Yeah, I think we have two teams that that hope to get to the finals this year and two teams that'll sort of be searching for their soul if they don't. These are teams that are run by giant players, and in the time of endless three-point shooting, it's almost refreshing to see guys like Joel Embiid and Giannis Antetokounmpo dominating in an old-school way by attacking the teeth of the defense, dominating the paint. Giannis, statistically, is the best interior scorer we have had since Shaq was in his prime. Think about that. That's been about 15, 16 years, and nobody's put up the points and the paint numbers that Giannis has this year, and he just turned 25 years old. So the Bucks sort of have this sort of beautifully balanced approach where Giannis just attacks the middle of the defense, and there's nothing the opponent can do except collapse on him. And when they do that... They spaced the entire floor with three-point shooters. So it's sort of a throwback game. Both of these teams uh, need to dominate in the uh, two-point area.
1: So Giannis, I think, is widely seen as the best player in the league right now, right? And not too long ago, Kirk, he really seemed to take his game to another level when he made those five three-pointers in a game. On to kumbo. Three points! out here looking like he's Ray Allen. And I think perhaps unfairly, it does feel like a bit of a referendum on Ben Simmons, uh, whose game is not advanced in, in a similar fashion. How has he played this season and how does his game contrast with Giannis's?
0: It's a great comparison. Both of these guys are fantastic playmakers who love to attack the rim and throughout their careers have struggled to sort of gain a great jump shot. And for Simmons, Unlike uh, Giannis, he plays with Joel Embiid, who's probably the most sort of dominant traditional center. So the question that I have around Ben Simmons isn't whether he's a great player in the NBA or you could build a champion around him. It's does he fit along with this other interior force, Joel Embiid? And I think that's a real question. But Simmons, you know, historically made a, a three or two this year for the first time in his career. Simmons! They won't leave him alone. While Giannis has been able to add that a little more consistently over the years and looks like he finally can be like a good three-point shooter going forward. I think the big question in Philly right now is, can this team get out of the Eastern Conference with a foundation built around Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons and not a lot of shooting? And I think that's a fair question right now. And I think the future of this team hangs in the balance.
1: So the 5 p.m. game, Rockets-Warriors, I think would have been the best game a year ago. (laughs) But you're still going to watch even as the the rest of America is preparing for Christmas dinner. Kirk Goldsberry is committed to his job. He is sitting on his sofa. He is studying Rockets Warriors. What are you watching for, Kirk?
0: I am obsessed with watching James Harden, Mina, and anybody who's watching this game will be watching a lot of James Harden. Harden left side of the floor, wait for teammates. No, he
1: won't. He'll dial it up and hit! Are you kidding me?
0: He is on pace to break a scoring record, or at least score as many points per game as anybody since Wilt Chamberlain. I mean, he is putting up ridiculous scoring numbers. A typical Rockets possession begins with Harden bringing the ball up, and many of them end with him shooting a three-point shot without passing. So I'll be watching for Harden to see if he can score 50 or 60 points against a really terrible Warriors team, you know?
1: Earlier this season, you and I talked a little bit about the Harden-Westbrook pairing. How is that borne out?
0: You know, to their credit, it's been awesome. The big question was, could they assimilate Westbrook on offense? Here is a historically inefficient player playing in the sort of house that analytics built, and they've assimilated him. And he's still up to the same sort of questionable shots from time to time. But they're a top three offense again. The questions about this team are on defense. Can they start to play good defense and if they can they're a legitimate contender and if they can not improve that they're not a legit contender
1: i am now obligated to mention the golden state warriors what should fans be watching for of this team
0: well they have a great rookie player named eric pascal who's been a surprise out of villanova pascal gobbles
1: up the rebound
0: and slammed it down the warriors fans should be very excited that they have eric pascal but essentially you're watching a team in hibernation a dynasty in hibernation. Curry's not out there, Thompson's not out there, Iguodala's gone, Durant's gone. It's like the old Spaceballs reference where it looks like we've captured their stunt doubles. You know, they have the uniforms on, but this (laughs) is not the team we expected to see when this schedule came out. And the state of this team is just a reminder, I mean, on how star-driven performance in this league is. You, You get a couple injuries to your best players, you lose a free agent or two, and you go from the defining team of the decade to one of the worst teams. In the NBA.
1: Coming up, why the NBA standings may be overselling the Lakers and underselling the Clippers. All right, Kirk, we've reached the big mashup of the day Clippers Lakers. It's 8 p.m. Eastern. All of the presents have been opened. You've eaten dinner. You're drinking your eggnog if you have bad taste because eggnog is disgusting. Are you with me there before we continue?
0: Well, statistically speaking, eggnog has the worst net rating of all the holiday treats. If you're consuming beverages on Christmas Day and eggnog is your choice, you've made a terrible decision.
1: Good. Hopefully we haven't alienated too much of the ESPN Daily audience with that hot take. (laughs) But this game is not the eggnog of games. This game is... Exciting! It's a thriller. It's a repeat of the opener between the Clippers and the Lakers. And Kirk, after that opener, which the Clippers won, it felt like the NBA sort of audience, you know, Illuminati, had decided, oh, the Clippers are it. Clippers are balanced. The Clippers are strong. The Lakers have a weak bench. How have things played out since then?
0: Well, the Lakers have had a very, very strong stretch since then, Mina. In fact, they are at the top of the Western Conference. Considering where they were the last year, it's sort of been a return to form, not just for LeBron James, but for the proudest franchise in the NBA. Since that opening night loss, they've been great on both ends of the court. LeBron James looks like an MVP. Remember, that was a question mark in the offseason. Was he too old? Had he lost a step? Could he recover from these injuries? He has come back and looks like the dude who went to eight straight finals. LeBron to AD to the rim, can't finish. LeBron followed Jam! LeBron followed Anthony Davis's miss. Lakers 102, Nuggets 96. The Clippers are just 22 and 10, and I think that's kind of deceptive. But, you know, when it comes to playoff seating, they are sliding right now. The Nuggets and Rockets have just passed them in the standings. The Mavericks and Jazz are threatening to send them to the back of the Western Conference standings. But this is a team that's defined by load management, and when Kawhi and Paul George have both played, they have been awesome, too. So I cannot wait for this game. This this game is the highlight of the day for a reason. It features four incredible players and, you know, a showdown for supremacy in the Western Conference.
1: Kirk, earlier I mentioned the game where Giannis made five threes. That was against the Lakers. My other big takeaway from that game was the Bucks just absolutely destroying Los Angeles' bench. How big of a problem is depth for this team, which also lost on Sunday to Denver?
0: No, you're exactly right. And if I'm picking apart the Lakers, when LeBron James is on the bench or he misses a game, this is not a very good team. The Lakers look like a lottery team, and that's not an exaggeration. They have a negative net rating when James is off the court as good as Anthony Davis is, they just are very, very sort of mediocre, especially on offense when James is out of the game.
1: You mentioned that these Clippers are sort of defined a bit by load management, Um, which is kind of sad when you think about it. That's sort of how they're defined. But it's undeniably a talking point, and it's true. How is that a point of contrast between these two teams?
0: I mean, the Lakers have a very, very different approach to load management than the Clippers. They are not nearly as conservative with their thoroughbreds as the Clippers are. Doc Rivers and the Clippers have looked at Kawhi Leonard and taken a page from Toronto and even San Antonio and said, look, we don't really need Kawhi to play 82 games. We need him to be available to win 16 games in the spring. And if they can just get the four seed or the five seed, their approach is that we are better than anybody. Home court isn't that important to us. We will beat you anytime, anywhere, as long as Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are healthy. The Lakers seem to be defiant of that and putting out a aging LeBron James and a fragile Anthony Davis, throwing caution to the wind a little bit. So they are they do have very different approaches to load management.
1: By the numbers, which of these teams is better?
0: By the numbers, the Lakers are better, and it's that simple. However, when you start to slice the numbers a little differently, when you start to look at the Clippers in the 14 games when Kawhi and Paul George have played together, you see that they're very, very good, too. They're 11-3 and in those games, and their statistical markers are outstanding. When Leonard and George are on the court, and they're holding opponents to less than 100 points per 100 possessions, which is incredible. In other words, they're a two-way behemoth. They're they're exactly, uh, to paraphrase uh, Dennis Green, they're exactly who we thought they were when they put this roster together, a deep two-way monster. But if everybody is upright and healthy heading into the playoffs— statistically these are two of the best teams in the league and it's unclear exactly who would come out of it. And that's why this game is going to be so fascinating.
1: The final game of the day, 10.30 p.m. Eastern, 7.30 here. By the way, living in Los Angeles is great for sports. Is Pelicans-Nuggets. I don't want to minimize this game, Kirk, because the Pelicans, and we'll get to what they've been going through in a second, because the Nuggets, as you alluded to earlier, are a very good basketball team and should not be overlooked.
0: No, but they don't have those sort of superstar dudes that the other contenders have in the Western Conference. They have Nikola Jokic, who is a very unusual superstar in the NBA, and they play in a smaller market in Denver. That said, Mina, they're the hottest team in the NBA. They won six in a row. They beat the Lakers without LeBron Sunday in L.A. Harris for three. Got it! And the Nuggets are piling on here. They're crashing the party at the top of the Western Conference standings. They're in the second slot right now, and they could be the top seed in the West. They're a team that sort of plays a very different style. They play through a big lumbering center who's a very gifted passer. Jokic is so good and so talented that despite his stature and his sort of unusual look, the dude is, has got his team at the top of the Western Conference. And that's, that tells you everything you need to know. They're never going to be the, the stars of Sports Center. They're never going to get, you know, Stephen A. excited on first mm. take. But for the real basketball nerds, um, they're a great team, and they're, they're a threat to come out of the Western Conference.
1: Well, on the other side of the court, the other big fella who I think everybody really wants to see play basketball is, is unfortunately still sidelined, and that's Zion Williamson. Kirk, I know you're not a doctor. Maybe you stayed at a Holiday Inn. When are we going to see Zion play?
0: Man, I hope soon, but it's going to be either in January or after the All-Star break. There's no rush. This team is not going to the playoffs. Zion is by far the most important asset in their organization. Uh, So they're going to handle him with care, and they should. Um, Not only are they increasing their draft position by losing games right now, they are being really conservative medically with the most important person in their organization. But it's too bad because everybody, including myself, was super excited to watch Zion Williamson play basketball this year, so... You know, whenever that happens, people are going to be really excited and the mood around the Pelicans will change. But it's unclear exactly when the uh, New Orleans Pelicans will decide to, to suit them up and let them go out there.
1: The NBA has been airing five games on Christmas for about 11 years now. Do you think it'll ever be for basketball what Thanksgiving is for NFL teams?
0: Well, I love Thanksgiving football, in part because I don't have to work. I can just have the Lions game on and drink some wine, have the Cowboys game on and drink some more wine. But yeah, I think I think NBA on Christmas is getting there, particularly if the if the league continues to give us such great matchups like Lakers, Clippers, and Primetime. Look, the NBA really starts for a lot of casual fans on Christmas Day. You know, most people don't even follow the league that closely, but this whole day is sort of this Big opening sort of stanza for the rest of the season. I think as long as the league continues to give us matchups like they're giving us this year, more and more people tune in and more and more people sort of take note of who's who in the, in the NBA that year.
1: Thanks, Kirk. Uh, lay off the nog.
0: Oh, too much nog. Too much nog. Have a Merry Christmas. Enjoy the basketball games.
1: <laughs> you as well. Take care. Coming up yet again, it's Taco Tuesday. another story I want you to know. Last night, the Boston Pops Orchestra held their annual holiday concert at the city's Symphony Hall and featured a special guest conductor during their performance of Sleigh Ride. Taking center stage was the center who has already captured the city's affections and is now a repeat fixture in this podcast space, 7'5 Celtics rookie, Taco Fall. Now, Taco is not the first basketball star to conduct the Pops. Shaquille O'Neal, who had a brief stint with the Celts near the end of his career, did the same. But it's remarkable how quickly Fall has become a Boston sports legend. Last Friday, when he made his debut at TD Garden after starting the season with Boston's G League team in Maine, the crowd was clamoring for him. And when coach Brad Stevens acquiesced after both he and Taco played it up for the fans, the arena erupted.
0: Once again, they're wacko
1: for (laughs) taco. Once again, the chance of MVP. (laughs) Stevens later said that his young daughter encouraged him to make the move, telling him it's time to give the people what they want. But he's more than just a folk hero. So far in the G League, he's averaged over 13 points, nine rebounds, and two blocks per game. And the minutes he's played on Friday and Saturday, his post-presence was felt. As you just heard from Kirk Goldsbury, Boston's lack of size is a weakness, so it's entirely possible he could make a difference in meaningful games. But beyond that, his story, the story of a brilliant kid from Senegal making his mark in the world's top league, continues to delight. Ahead of his conducting gig, Fall was fitted for his first-ever tuxedo, a size 48 suit that required four extra inches on the pants and sleeves. He told the Boston Press-Herald that he was excited even though the tux was a rental and he'd have to give it back. Something tells me they're going to let him keep it. I'm Nina Kimes, and this has been ESPN Daily. I'll talk to you tomorrow.